are going to talk about giving. We've been in a series during the Lenten season talking about um, practices that Christian communities engage in, things that help us to experience God's presence, ways that we can honor God, um, and ways that we can be connected to one another in community. We have talked about fasting and prayer, and today we're going to talk about um, giving, which is like financial, like money kind of giving. I'm still hearing some background music. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I don't love lots of music, like it makes me sound much more uh, spiritual. <laughs> Let's start with the words of Jesus, and then uh, we'll pray. So this is from Matthew chapter 23, um, verse 23. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day who oftentimes missed the mark. And Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Would you reveal yourself? Would you be present and help us to perceive your presence, to experience you, to hear your voice? Lord, this can be a tender subject for some of us. So I just ask that you would care for us, that you would take our hearts in your hands, and that you would teach us what you want us to know about what money is like from your perspective and how you want us to see it. God, I just ask that we can be changed today to see the world more like the way that you see the world? Would you just draw us close to you and let us experience your love and your goodness? And God, would you make us brave? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do Christians give money? We have this passage from Jesus, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he talks about how they tithe, they give a tenth, 10% of even their spices. So like even kind of the mundane, like they're really keeping track of things, right? Like clearly they're giving of their wealth and they're giving of their income and they're paying attention even to like smaller stuff. Um, and he says, you should have done that. Like he doesn't say like, oh, that doesn't matter. He says, yeah, you should do that, but giving and ticking the box, getting your accounting just so, is not enough by itself. Like, we have to pay attention to justice and mercy and faithfulness. The relationship that we have with God is really what's behind the way that we give. And we can't, um, we can't separate the two. We can't just tick a bunch of boxes and, 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 and make it, you know? Like, God is such a big part of what's going on here when we talk about giving a tithe, giving 10% of what we, what we have. So first, let's talk about what we're not doing. So we're not giving money to God because God needs money. God doesn't need our money. <laughs> he uh, is unlike other gods. Like this is something that I, I think is so interesting. Um, I heard a sermon, this was years ago at a vineyard conference, where the speaker was talking about um, some of the Egyptian gods in the ancient world, and how, you know, the creation story for them was centered around how the gods were hungry, and the gods had needs, and so they created humans so that humans could work for them, and humans could farm for them, and humans could harvest crops, and humans could bring it to the gods, and then the gods could eat from what the humans have, had labored to produce and got their needs met that way. 
but with our God, with Jesus, with the Holy One of Israel, with the Father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we have this very different story where God provides a garden and it's lush with produce and he feeds us. And it's, it's just completely different. Like we're not meeting needs that God has. In the Psalms, we see this, um, Psalms 50, in verses 19, or 9, sorry, to 15, the Lord says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God doesn't have needs that we meet. That's just not how that relationship works. I love how he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Um, I have kids, two boys, they're eight and ten years old, and when they are hungry, they tell me, yes, I see some nods <laughs> from some other moms. Um, in fact, yesterday was a beautiful day, and we kind of have like an outside swing and a little jungle gym kind of a thing, so a bunch of the neighbor kids were playing at our house, and when the neighbor kids are hungry, they tell me. <laughs> Lots of kids are eager to express to me their need for a snack or for a meal, you know, and, and that's fine. It's wonderful. It's adorable. Um, but God is not like my child. If he's hungry, he doesn't tell me. In fact, the relationship goes exactly the opposite of that, doesn't it? Another thing that's important to remember is that um, tithing is not a formula um, or a ritual to get rich. And sometimes I think we can stray a little bit this way. We're going to look at Malachi in a second. But I just want to set the stage before we look at this passage of understanding kind of where sometimes we can get this wrong. Um, maybe you've heard of uh, uh, the concept of the prosperity gospel. You know, I, I'm going to name something in faith and it will be mine or it will be manifest to me because I have faith in my faith, something like that. But we see a lot of people throughout the Bible who are very faithful to God, who honor God, and they still suffer. And some of them are still, still struggle with poverty and lead poor lives. Jesus himself, it says that he didn't have a place to rest his head. Jesus traveled from place to place, and he didn't live in a big mansion. He didn't have a big castle. He certainly didn't command a big army. He wasn't uh, the 1%. He wasn't a billionaire going to space for fun. You know, like, <laughs> that's just not the model that we have. And so while I think it's important that we understand that when we give to God and we trust him that he will provide for us, and bless us, I think sometimes because we live in such a consumer age in a capitalist country, we can get these things kind of mixed up just a little bit. And we can think, oh, if I tithe, then God is going to give me thousands of Instagram followers. If I tithe, God is going to promise that my restaurant is going to make it, even though 90% of restaurants fail in the first year. Um, if I tithe, then I can kind of force God into doing something for me. And we've got to stay away from that idea. It's just, it's not helpful to our faith, and it's not biblically accurate. Um, this weekend, we watched a movie with our kids that's kind of causing a stir on Disney Plus called Turning Red. Has anybody seen Turning Red yet? 
I'm going to give them the smallest of spoilers. I think it's actually in the preview, so I don't think it's too much. But um, the, the main character, she is uh, a Chinese-Canadian. So her family is Chinese, but they live in Toronto. And we do see um, practices of their culture. So we see them praying to their ancestors. And um, there is uh, a ritual at one point that the women in the family perform together in order to solve a problem. There, now you don't know anything. Um, and I thought it was so interesting watching this ritual. It was a really great opportunity for me to talk to my kids about some of the differences between um, other beliefs and our beliefs. And one of those is that there aren't really, we don't, we don't really do like the ritual thing in Christianity. Like there's sometimes like there's a practice and it will have steps, but we don't think that the power comes from the ritual. The power remains with God. And we can't speak an incantation or say the right words or move our body in the right way or draw symbols on the ground or on a special piece of paper. We can't, by doing any of those things, force God into taking an action that he otherwise would not have taken or prevent him from taking an action that he's planning on. Like, that's just not how it works. There's not a series of steps that put us in charge. When we do something like take communion, for example, this is a symbol that's reminding us of a thing that Jesus has done. One of the reasons I think we're a little bit laid back at the vineyard about practicing an open table, we don't police this so much, we don't ask to see certificates of baptism. We feel like, you know, we say, you know, if you're moving toward Jesus and you want to participate in this, you want to take this symbol and you want to honor God by remembering Jesus' death and resurrection, the way that he paid the price for our sins, absolutely do it because this isn't magic. It's not like somebody can walk in here and say, I hate God, and take communion, and now they have to get let into heaven. That's just not how it works. This isn't a ritual that forces God's hand, and tithing is not a ritual that forces God's hand. Let's read about it in Malachi, though. This is a very interesting passage, I think. God is talking through this prophet, and he says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And there may be food, in, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then, the, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this is interesting because God is talking to us about the tithe, and he does make a promise. There's this beautiful um, passage early in Genesis when um, God, um, the, <laughs> I have a hard time explaining it. There, he sets up the sacrifice, he tells Abraham, set up the sacrifice, put the birds on either side, and split the animals, and normally this would be like a covenant, like a promise two people make to, to each other. They would walk between them together. So like, um, Josh and I enter into a contract, and I say I'm going to pay him 100 bucks, and um, then we make this promise, and we walk together through, these, through this sacrifice, 
And that would be now like a covenant promise. But when God asked Abraham to set all of this up for him, then it says, a lantern passes through on its own accord, like a light, a fire passes through. And it's God promising himself. So often God enters into this covenant himself. He makes a promise because he decides, because he is the Lord, because he is in charge and he is sovereign. And he'll share that with us. He'll share this promise to us. He's not even asking for a promise from us. He's asking for us to respond to the promises that he makes. I think this is one of the distinctives of the Christian faith and the Jewish faith, and it's so important for us to keep God in charge as God. I think the, 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 the more advanced we become as a civilization, the easier it is for me to forget that I'm not in charge and that I'm not God, right? And we see moments like this where God says, test me in this, I will provide for you. Bring your whole tithe in and I will provide for you. So this isn't a formula. This isn't, we're not strong-arming God. We're just responding to a promise that he makes to us. So why do we give? Why does God tell us to give? One, we can worship God with our money. And for many of us, um, time and money, these are kind of interchangeable, right? Like I give my, the company that I work for, I give them my time and my effort, and then they give me money. And this is a way by me giving this money to God for me to work as unto the Lord and to set my work apart and to um, honor God with the way that I'm spending my my hours and my days and my weeks. Isn't God worth our worship? When we give our tithes, one of the things that we're saying is we're saying, um, maybe you've heard the phrase first fruits. When we give God 10% of our income, um, as we're taught to by Jesus, we're saying that God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of getting the first and the best from me. I give to God from what I have um, worked for because God is worthy of it. I think sometimes it can get a little bit um, uncomfortable when, uh, when we're not tithing. You know, I think like this isn't a cultural practice. This isn't something in the United States that we're taught to do, like, oh, 10%. I think that's very normal. Um, in fact, maybe you have, you know, been doing your taxes. You go through TurboTax. Maybe you put in that you tithed, and TurboTax says, are you sure you gave that much to charity? Has anybody ever seen that little note before? Are you sure? That's like more than average. Are you sure? <laughs> um, because it's, it's a little bit not normal. But the reason why this is a little bit abnormal is because our God is abnormally good. <laughs> like He's like weirdly wonderful. He's unique and he's special and he's worth everything that we have. Another reason that we give is we remember that all that we have belongs to the Lord. Everything is his. Much like communion, we're reminding ourselves about this relationship that we have with God. Sometimes um, when I think about the tithe, uh, I, I often do think about my kids and my relationship with them because I'm their parent and um, in some way, you know, God is my father spiritually. And, um, and I, can see, um, I can see an analogy kind of echo through our relationship when it comes to cleaning the house. So my kids are not great <laughs> at cleaning the house. Um, part of it is, uh, I don't know that I'm great at, at, at like letting go to like let them clean. Josh is nodding a little too exuberantly right now. Um, but you know, like it's so much easier, I'll just go faster, I can do it myself, I can do it better. Watching someone flail around with a vacuum and like missing big strips of the carpet, you know, I just wanna like, oh, just give it to mommy and I'll take care of this. 
um, so often I think that like I do struggle a little bit with like I get the house clean and then every oh I don't know three months or so I say oh I've got to gear up I've got to get this chore thing organized Josh we gotta we gotta pay them for chores we gotta get them involved we've got to teach them how to clean my future daughter-in-laws are like this they're counting on me <laughs> to make sure that my boys know how to clean a house you know and um, and I try to I try to give that away and when my kids clean they don't clean the whole house. Um, and they don't do awesome. They don't do an, an incredible job. It's not like if I hired someone and I paid them to come into my house and just get the whole job done. Um, I have to be really involved with them, right? It's like they get distracted and they want to wander off. They don't know when the job is done. Um, you know, I, I've tried to institute like the do it right or do it again. You know, like real tough parenting. You know, but then my heart melts when they're like, but I tried, <laughs> you know? So we have like this whole, it was, it's, a, it's a close relationship, um, teaching my children to clean our house. But one of the reasons why I think it's important for kids to contribute, one of the things that they learn from that is that like, wow, mom works hard to keep the house clean and dad works hard to keep the house clean. This is true too, like mowing the lawn, like, oh, they get exhausted and tired and they find out like, yeah, the grass doesn't cut itself, you know? Like this is like a thing, it's this whole, you know, we're practicing to be a grown-up, and like, this is a whole thing, lots of work. And when they do that, it gives them kind of a way of sharing and participating in the work that we're doing. Like, ultimately, like, our home is me and Josh's responsibility. Nobody would come to our home and say, what's all this trash doing around here? We're going to haul your kids off or make them pay to get it clean. Like, obviously, they'd come to Josh and I because we're the ones who are responsible. But when we give our kids a chance to clean... I say it like that, when we require our children to clean, um, they, they become participants and they learn how to care for all of our things and they learn what goes into it when we care for our things and they become, we're like a team and we work together. When we tithe, um, you know, God provides everything for us and when we give some of that back, it's like, you know, vacuuming the hall while God takes care of everything else in terms of like, not that we're taking care of it, but like, that we're participating in the work that he's doing and we're acknowledging how God has provided for us. When we give our money, it's a way for us to say, I'm not going to trust in my money, I'm going to trust God. And recognizing like the role that God plays and being close in that relationship with God. Giving financially can get a little bit hard sometimes, right? Like I would imagine that you could think of lots of things to buy. I bet if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, write down a thing you could buy, nobody is just going to say, hmm, I don't know. I can't think of a single thing, right? Like there's lots of things to buy. There's lots of, there's bills to pay and food to purchase and luxuries, vacations to take. Lord, let us all go on vacations again someday. And... Um, you know, like, there's, there's plenty for us to do there. And so when we give our money, we have to trust God to meet those needs and participate and interact with him in this relational way that we wouldn't have otherwise. Another reason that we give is it helps us orient our lives around Jesus in a greedy world. Um, I heard a pastor say once that greed is like the sin you're not allowed to preach about. <laughs> Or it's actually fine for you to preach about greed because everybody says to themselves, like, oh, I'm not greedy. Like, nobody ever comes and confesses, like, oh, I'm just really struggling with greed. Like, it's not, it's just not like a sin that, like, we're wired to understand, you know? It hasn't gotten a lot of airtime on the Christian radio networks, and, like, it's not showing up as, like, the problem in a lot of movies. Like, greed is just something that, like, 
it's really difficult for me to see myself as greedy because I can always find someone who's much greedier, right? I can always compare up and I can find a news story about Bill Gates, who has lots of money, he gives a lot to charity, but boy, he's got a lot of money. And Jeff Bezos, and Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk, and the Russian oligarchs. I've been hearing a lot about the Russian oligarchs lately. Like, they all have so much. Like, these people are great. Like, once they fix their house, like, then maybe you could come and talk to me about, like, my, oh, I don't know, thousandaire status, you know, if your kids ever asked you that, like, are we millionaires? No, baby, we are not. Are we, are we thousandaires? Like, they're getting nervous, right? Like, uh, anyway, so um, it's easy for me to think, like, this is a big, this is a problem for people with tons and tons and tons of money, and I'm so far removed from them, how could I possibly experience greed? But I think it gets in really easily. I think, I think when I'm poor, I can be greedy. When I'm rich, I can be greedy. Like, how much I actually have isn't the thing that makes me greedy or not greedy, but it's an attitude of our hearts. And when we give 10% to God, we are protected from that sin. There's protection involved. When I give to God and I don't see all of my wealth as my own and I don't see all my resources as my own, then I have an opportunity. I, I, like, I step back and I, there's like a division between me and my money. I don't identify myself as my money. I think there are a lot of messages out in the world that say like you are... Like, oh, what's your, what's your net worth, right? Like, what is a person worth? And then they, and they mean, like, let's affix a dollar amount to your worth, which is absolutely not biblical. Like, that's not God's view of his children. He's not, he doesn't see us all with little dollar signs over our head. Some of us have negative dollar signs over our head, student loans. And some of us, you know, maybe, you know, like, it, it changes a lot, and sometimes we get really stressed out. Like, God doesn't see us that way. He doesn't say, oh, here's my wonderful child who's doing really well financially, and here's somebody else, and uh, I'm not even sure about them. That's just not how it works. His loving kindness chases after us. He cares deeply about us. And when we orient our lives around Jesus, when we give our 10%, I think we're better able to experience his love and just to experience, like, the reality, the truth, God's truth, that how much money you have, how much resources that you have, has nothing to do with your worth as a person. Because our worthiness comes from a state, a, a, an act that God made when he sent his son to die for us. God said, on that day, human beings are worth the life of my son. You're as valuable to God as his own child. And we are adopted into his family. And that's where our worthiness comes from. It's something that's given to us by God. It's not connected to an amount in a bank account or a salary with a job that we work. So how can we start? Like some of us, and how can we grow? I think some of us maybe have been tithing for a while. Maybe, you've, maybe you learned this when you were younger um, and you don't have a problem. Maybe you've like automated the giving and you've got that going just fine and you're doing well. And I just want to um, encourage you to like listen to God today. I think he wants to let you know that he is proud of you, that he sees you. He sees the sacrifice that you've made, and he knows. And um, when we're faithful to him, it just makes his heart so happy, you know? Um, some of us maybe have never learned <laughs> to tithe, and these sermons maybe feel, like, really uncomfortable. Um, or you might even find yourself in a place of, like, you know, I used to tithe, and then I fell in hard times, and I stopped, and I haven't gotten back to it. Or um, I'm tithing now, but I only started recently. I don't know if God's mad. Like, do I need to make up a tithe from the past? 
So I just want to talk about some really practical things um, as we kind of wrap up today. And the first is to start where you are. Um, for some of us, that might be like uh, uh, like five bucks, <laughs> one dollar, fifty cents. You know, like sometimes sometimes we might find ourselves in really trying financial times, and starting small is the place where we have to the, like that's that's where we're at. And God knows that, and He loves us in that place. Remember, God's love doesn't come from like, oh, you have 10% of your income, and you feel like, oh yeah, I could just give that away. I don't even care about that 10%. I can't even think of what I would buy with it. Like that's not how it works. So starting small, starting where we are. The Bible says that when we're faithful with little, then we—that's how we learn to be faithful with much. And it's okay to start not perfect with this. Um, I'm kind of a numbers geek. I have kind of a numbers job for my uh, side hustle that I do 40 hours a week. And it's really easy for me to calculate 10%. You just move that decimal point over one, one space. I found that out the year that, like, when I first started, they'd give out a bonus, like a 10% bonus. Like, that happened, like, twice. And then the third year, there was no bonus. And they were like, hey, we never promised this. And I was just like, I mean, yeah, I get it, but... I can't not think about what 10% is, you guys. Like, it's really clear to me what 10% is. This is like not tough math to do. Um, but you know, I think when it comes to tithing, sometimes 10% can feel really, really staggering, especially if you've never given before. And so I think it's important for us to receive grace from Jesus and know that everything that we give, he, he, honors, he is honored by and worshiped by everything that we give, even when it starts with small amounts. Um, another tip that I have is to consider those with less. Um, this is something that I have found really, really helpful when things have gotten really tight financially for Josh and I. Um, if you know us, you know a little bit of our story. We moved to Philadelphia and tried to plant a church, and we moved to Philadelphia tithing with lots of savings in the bank. And then a few years later, we had to recognize that it wasn't going to happen. And we shut everything down, and we moved back to Springfield, tithing with lots of debt <laughs> against our names. And um, we really experienced um, some challenging times and all of that. And what really was not helpful during that time was to compare myself to people who were doing really well. And I don't have to look very far because um, my family's pretty... They're doing okay. Um, my older sister in particular, she's a mechanical engineer. So, you know, she's, she's fine. <laughs> They've got plenty. Um, her husband's a metallurgical engineer. Her kids have so much pressure to go to Missouri S&T because that's where they both went. And if they do, they'll probably also be fine. And when I would, you know, at Christmas time, see their car or, you know, their house or that kind of stuff, when we had just like like really laid a lot on the line and like found ourselves, you know, in some need, you know, and like really trying to juggle things and really trying to have a tight budget. And um, so that's really when I fell in love with Aldi. Um, no, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I love Aldi. But, um, but that, was, that was a challenging time. And comparing to somebody who's doing fine, like there was a lot of like time in prayer with God just saying like, how is it that everybody else seems to have this figured out and I don't have it figured out, you know? Like, I just felt like a failure when I, when I couldn't, when I didn't have, like, extra and lavish things. We weren't, like, going hungry. Um, we were just really stressed, I'd say. And during those times, I did find that um, we were supporting a child through World Vision, kind of like Compassion International, same thing, you know, like, 
little bit a month and you're helping a child get education and food security in some other country around the world. And um, every time we'd pay them, we paid, it was like $35, not a huge amount of money. Every time I'd pay that bill for $35, like I'd kind of like, I often like struggle with like, man, maybe we should turn this off. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't have extra $35. It would be really helpful to have $35 to spend on gas, you know, or car insurance or, you know, one of like my regular bills. And, uh, and we never did it. We could never turn it off because, um, because she had less than us. The little girl that we were sponsoring, like, just had less. If you're an American, even if you're an American struggling, there are people around the world who have so much less than us. And taking some time to reflect on that and to reflect on our blessings, even when maybe we don't feel hashtag blessed, you know, like taking time to recognize the gifts that we do have and the provision that we do have, even if it's not as much as we want. Um, I kind of think it's never going to be as much as we want. I think that's part of the human condition. Um, you know, taking that time to kind of compare down to really, I think, always filled me with like a, a new feeling of inspiration to be generous. Sharing with people who have less than me, there's something that really makes sense in that. Um, there's something I think that God really just helps that to resonate inside of us. So I find that to be really helpful um, whenever I struggle, you know, with giving. Um, and then my last tip is to be brave. And I want to be really careful with this particular tip. Um, for me, with tithing, I, I grew up in a very conservative Pentecostal church. Flags. Sometimes we'd like march around the room. Um, it was like delightful and, and sometimes very strange. I see some like nods and some people are like, I don't like, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> um, don't worry. I don't have like hidden flags in the back or anything. I'm not trying to make a big shift today. But, um, but being a part of a small Pentecostal church, like the, the tithing thing, like this was a big, like lots of like have faith and just the pastor kind of yelled about everything, you know. Um, I kind of liked it. Like I was, it was like what I knew and what I was used to. And like he was passionate, you know. And when he spoke at our wedding, which was outdoors, like it was perfect. Like we really needed that projection because there was a little waterfall in the back and everybody could hear him. So that was good. Um, but he's just like very, like very serious about tithing. And I, and I really internalized that as like a teenager who had never really worked, you know. So then when I got my first job, like I'm tithing, like I'm doing the thing. Um, also, my mom, so my mom was a follower of Jesus. My dad wasn't. Me and my mom went to church together, and my dad and my older sister didn't go. And my mom would always, she'd, when, from when I was really little, she'd write the check, like a paper check, remember those? She'd write the check, and she'd hand it to me, and I'd put it in the offering, which, like, we don't have a paper offering, and it's this thing I'm really sad. Like, our kids never get experiences, like, me handing them the check and then putting in the offering. But involving your kids with giving is such a good thing. Anyway, so it was really internalized for me. Like, tithing's important. And so I got my first job, and I tithe, and um, I go through life, and that seems fine. And then there kind of came, like, a, a problem with me and my dad because he had, I was getting ready to go over to college, or I guess it was between my freshman and sophomore year in college, and he'd given me, like, a considerable allowance in college, which when I was a freshman, he gave me, like, $100 a month just for spending money for myself, which was huge, you know, like, oh, man, I was, I was living large. I'd take my best friend out to eat. I'd pay for hers, too, because I was flush with cash. And then that summer, um, my dad put two and two together that I'd been tithing. I'd been giving money to the church. And <laughs> he got really upset, and he told me that I needed to demand a refund, which, 
we don't we don't really do refunds here. Like not, we wouldn't call it. I mean, I guess if you gave and you needed it back, we can certainly. We don't want to take your money from you. Like if you're unhappy about it, but like just like he like what he thinks there's a customer service desk. Like like twelve people go to this church. This guy yells. We wave our flags. There's no refunds, you know. Anyway, um, but he but he wanted me he wanted me to stop. And um, for me, this was really formative because I had to choose between my earthly father who uh, had certain values and then my spiritual father and everything that I really, really believed. And so for me, teenage rebellion (laughs) was that I continued to tithe. Um, I'm trying to think how we could engineer this for our kids. Like, don't you dare tithe. (laughs) Then they'll give their money and (laughs) and we'll just bypass like all the drugs and alcohol and parties and stuff. <laughs> because they were giving their money to Jesus, um, but it really felt that way. It was like I'm owning this, and I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm my own woman, and I'm giving my 10%. My allowance got cut off, and I had to get a job the next year. But, um, but that was like a thing. That was the thing that that I did, and and it felt at the time it felt really brave. Um, looking back on that, reflecting on that now, as a middle class white girl whose parents were fine. Um, they paid for everything I needed, you know. Um, I do wonder, like, I do see that now as maybe a little less brave. It felt really brave at the time because I was doing something my dad didn't want me to do, um, which is a big deal for me when I was 18. I'm kind of a rule follower. Um, but in retrospect, you know, I, I paid in my tithes, but then if I had had some kind of financial crisis, if there was something that suddenly I needed, I'm stranded by the side of the road, and I need to pay for a tire or something like that, you know, I could have just called mommy and daddy, and they would have, they would have just, like, jumped in, you know? Like, no question. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this advice, and I do think that if we run an experiment and we start to tithe, we give more than maybe we've been giving, um, there, that takes some courage. But, man, if, if, if I don't have any other resources, like if I don't have extended family around me, or like really good relationships with a chosen family, a best friend that I could go to and say, wow, like I tried out tithing and now I don't have enough money for gas for my car to get to work this week. Could you lend me 30 bucks, 50 bucks? It's a lot now. Um, you know, like if you don't have that, then suddenly be brave means a lot more, right? Like be very, very brave, be much braver even than maybe I, anything I've ever experienced because I have a, a nice social network of a lot of people who are uh, very generous. And so I just want to encourage you, like, if you've never tithed before or you've never given and you feel like, you know, I feel God in my heart telling me that he wants me to participate in this, um, but I'm scared that I'm not going to have enough at the end of the month. I just want to say, like, we are family here. Like, this is something that we're trying to do here is to be family to one another and to support one another. There are many faithful givers in this room who have, shocked me with their generosity time and again, tithes, and then even more than that, or the ways that I see them supporting missionaries and and supporting others or just being generous with their friends. Um, We do have a benevolence fund here, so if you do find yourself falling on hard times, like, that's something you can ask us for. The trustees and meet about it, not a decision, you know, like, and we don't, we're not, like, flush with lots and lots of cash, but you know, like this is a thing that we want to be for each other and we want to do for each other. So if just now when I said like, be brave, run an experiment, test God in this and give some, and you think to yourself, well, that's really nice, Kara, but I don't have parents that I can call who will bail me out even though I've rebelled against them by, you know, like I don't, I don't have that. I just want to tell you that like you're here 
And so, yes, you do. And I want to make sure that you know that you do. And you have that not because of me or Josh. You have that because of the people in this room are faithful to God who calls us to share and to give together. So let's just close with a story about a woman who's very brave. Um, Jesus um, sat down. This is from Mark. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the, treasure, the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, lots of college girls whose daddies know. Um, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples around him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This story is often talked about as the widow's might because she gave a very little, but it was, for her, it was everything that she had. And this is the kind of courage that Jesus calls us to and empowers us um, to, to exercise. She trusts God is going to meet all of her needs, and so she holds nothing back for herself. And I think that kind of way of living may sound very risky, and it's not really the pattern of capitalism, but I think she is the freest person in this room, you know? And the way that Jesus points this out, he calls all of his disciples, he says, look, something important is happening. There's someone who's being brave in their trust and their faith. And I just think that God would call us all to that in, in a variety of different ways, including but not limited to giving. So would you stand? This is the time that we take to pray for one another. Our worship band is going to come up and uh, we'll sing one more song. And this is really the, the most important thing that we'll do, the most important time, because so far, like, I've talked to you, but now we're going to listen to God talk to us. We want to hear God's voice. So if you are struggling financially, um, or if you are stressed about any other kind of lack, you just feel like you don't have enough, I would love for you to take a step in faith, come stand in the middle. Someone will come up, they'll put their hand on your shoulder, they'll introduce themselves, they'll ask if they can pray for you and what they can pray for you about. And here's the best part. You tell them your problem, and then they do all the work. You just stand there and receive, and, um, and they'll pray for you and really bring your challenges to God and um, suffer with you and just commune with you for that time. Also, I want to say, if you're really like dialed in and you're like, yes, like I've, I've tithed since I was a teenager. I've been doing a good job. I feel good at this. Like this is the thing I can do. I just want to encourage you, like look around the room and see if God wants to highlight anyone to you for you to go and pray for them and bless them with what you've been given. Um, and just having that like heart attitude and understanding money the way that you've been able to understand it. I think that would be really lovely. Um, ask if you can pray for them, and if somebody approaches you and you don't want them to pray, say no. That's really important. You're totally allowed to say, no, nah, I'm good. Um, but otherwise, let's, uh, let's sing to God, and let's pray together, and let's see what God has to say for us.